First of all, I want to apologize because we're here on um, what we know is Good Friday, and we're going to talk about Passover because that's the real celebration of everything that happened on what we call Good Friday. And uh, unfortunately, back at the Council of Nicaea, the, the, uh, the church fathers thought it was really good to separate the two and get away from those rebellious Jewish people. And I read something this week that was actually disconcerting in my heart because it was kind of an anti-Semitic statement. Uh, and it would be a whole lot easier to understand all of this if we were marching on the Jew Jewish calendar and seeing Passover and the cross and everything that happened. So my hope tonight is to show you from Scripture what Passover is all about in the Old Testament, how it started, and then come forward and see how Jesus celebrated it and then transformed it and offer you Passover. Um, so the title of my message is actually The Last Passover, because Jesus did celebrate the last Passover. He fulfilled it. Um, the story of Passover starts way back in Genesis 22, if you have your Bibles. Now it came to pass, verse 1 of chapter 22 in Genesis, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and, and, the split, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to the young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. Now note that. So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. He was probably in his teens. So he got to carry the heavy load of wood. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. And Isaac spoke to his father, to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, here am, here am I, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. So the two went together. Now Abraham is going and he's thinking, I'm going to kill my son, and God's going to raise him back up, because God can do that. And then he came to the place which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now, can you imagine being in that position? To offer up your son to God because God asked for him. 
Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place Yahweh Yerah, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day. In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Mount Moriah is where the temple was eventually built. So they were on the mountain of Jerusalem where the temple would eventually be built. After this, if you follow the story through Genesis, Joseph gets sold into slavery in Egypt by his brothers. And then there's a great famine and Joseph is raised up in Egypt as the prime minister because he has God's wisdom to solve the problem of a seven-year plenty followed by seven years of famine. And all of his family ends up coming down during the famine. And they're there for 400 years in Egypt. And after the time of Joseph, a new pharaoh arises that starts enslaving the Jewish people. And at the end of this, Moses who fled because he thought he was the Messiah and killed an Egyptian, and he knew Pharaoh had found out about it, is sent back by God to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And there ensues the story of the, the ten plagues of Egypt. One for each of the gods in Egypt. So each plague knocked down a god of Egypt. And we get to Exodus 12, and it says this, Now the Lord spoke to, to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. It was not the first month of the year at that point in time. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, the tenth of Nisan, Every man shall take for him a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You'll take it from the sheep or the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts of the lintel, and, and on the lintel of the houses where they eated it. And they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Those are the three elements, the, the lamb, the unleavened bread, and the bitter herbs. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all in water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails, you, you shall let it alone, let none of it remain until the morning, and whatever remains until morning you shall burn with fire. Thus you shall eat it with your belt on your waist, your sandal on your feet, your staff in your hands, so shall you eat it in haste, for it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike, strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign on the, the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. 
and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So there are two things going on. They're going to kill this lamb as a substitute, kind of like what, it, what Abraham did, and put it on the door's side posts and the top, the lintel, and it's going to be assigned to this destroying angel as he, as he walks through the land of Egypt. And if he sees the blood, he passes over or passes by that house. If there's no blood on the door, he goes into the house and kills the firstborn. And in one night, all the firstborn men, women, animals died. And Pharaoh knew this. They told Pharaoh before it happened. And that was the Passover. And then when we get to the law, the law instantiates that. He actually tells them that they're for year, year over year, they're to celebrate this on the 10th through the 14th of Nisan and teach their children the story. Now, would that we had that kind of a tradition with us to continually rehearse what we're going to talk about year after year after year with our families. It was a family thing. The father killed the lamb, and the father spread the blood, and the father roasted the lamb, and they ate in haste. And the next morning, Pharaoh kicked them out, and they left Egypt. So now we ratchet forward to the New Testament. And in the book of John, the only one who mentions this, the first chapter, verse 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him, that's John the Baptist, and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is of whom I said after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from him, from heaven upon him like a dove, and he remained on him. I did not know him, but he, knew, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And the next day John stood with two of his disciples, and, he, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And a few verses later, one of the two was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. The other one was John, the son of James. I mean, the, uh, the son of Zebedee, the brother of James. So the rest of the time I'm going to spend in Luke, starting in, in chapter 19. So chapter 19, this is after the resurrection of Lazarus. He goes and he's staying with uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And he said, verse 28, he said, when he had said this, he went on ahead going to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, the, the mountain of 
called Olives that he sent his two disciples. Go to the village opposite you and enter, and you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it to, to me here. And if anyone asks you why you are loosing it, thus you should tell them because the Lord has need of it. And they go and they find it just as, they, as he said. And they brought him to Jesus. Incidentally, there's an Old Testament prophecy that says, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That'll have reference here. Then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their clothes on the colt. Now the colt had never been ridden. A donkey is not an amenable, tame beast. This beast had never been ridden. So how's he going to ride it into Jerusalem? They threw their coats on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their coats on, on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to rejoice and to praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. That's out of Psalm 118. That's the Hallel at the end of Passover. And that is the coming chant to the son of David that they're expecting to come and put down the enemy and free Israel from bondage to Rome. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called out to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them and said, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones immediately would cry out. And he speaks a prophecy over Jerusalem while he's weeping. As he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you have known, even you especially in this your day, the things that made for your peace or your shalom, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. That came true in 70 AD. And he went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in it saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So the, the Jewish people, as they prepare for Passover, clean their houses, like every nook and cranny, because they need to get the leaven out before Passover starts, right? I think that's where the, the concept of spring cleaning came from, honestly. And usually that's a family effort and the mom will leave in one specific place a little bit of leaven because on the night of right before Passover, the father comes in with a lamp and searches the whole house to ensure that there's no leaven. And he has a feather and a spoon and he sweeps it into the spoon and he ties it up in a cloth and they go and burn it. As, and, and then they say a prayer and pronounce the house now 
clean of leaven. The master of the house has to bless the house ready for Passover. This is Christ blessing the temple ready for Passover. He comes and he makes a whip out of cord, cords and he drives out the money changers that are in probably the court of the Gentiles. And he cleanses the temple. He says, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he was teaching daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders of the people sought to destroy him and were unable to do anything, for all the people were very attentive to him. Now think about this. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was brought up on the 10th of Nisan and presented at the temple. And he, the Lamb of God needs to be kept for four days and tested to make sure it's without spot and without blemish. And once it's tested and approved, it can be killed as the Passover lamb. The lamb's first test, Luke 20, verse 1. Now it happened on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel which is probably not what we think of. It was probably more like repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That the chief priests and the scribes together with the elders confronted him. And they spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority you are doing these things or who gave you this authority. There's the test, the first test. But he answered them and said to them, I will ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why didn't, did you not believe in him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us, for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they didn't know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you what authority, by what authority I do these things. And he passes the first test. Later he began to tell the people this parable. And he tells the parable of a certain man who planted the vineyards. Uh, planted a vineyard and, and gave it to vine dressers. And when it was time to receive the fruit, that he sent servants and they beat them and threw them out. And he sent more servants and they beat them and killed some of them. And then he said, well, I'll send them my son, and they'll respect my son. And they saw him coming and said, here's the heir. Let's kill him and take the inheritance. And he concludes this with, then the owner of the, um, then the, owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, there's the heir, come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. Strange thinking. So they cast him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of that vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the, the vineyard to, to others. And those who were looking on, the 
chief priests, the scribes, and the elders said, when they heard it, they said, certainly not. Because he knew that he was talking about them. And he looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. You need to be broken to receive this lamb, to receive this Passover. And the chief priests and the scribe that very hour sought to lay hands on them, but they feared the people, for they knew that he had spoken this parable against them. Second test passed. So they watched him and they sent spies who pretended to be righteous, the Pharisees, that they might seize him on his word in order to deliver him to the power and authority of the government. And, And the Pharisees came and said, Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, show me what you pay to Caesar. He says, whose image is on this? And they said, Caesar, rightly. He says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God the things that are God. Another test passed. Multiple witnesses now. And they said after that, but they could not catch him in his words and the presence of the people. And they marveled at his answer and kept silent. Then lastly, lastly, the the final test, some of the Sadducees who deny the resurrection came to him asking, saying, and they lay out this situation where seven brothers, you know, one brother had uh, married a wife and he died before he had children. The Levitical law said that his brother had to marry her and raise up children in his brother's name. And it went through seven brothers. And then they, at the end of this, they ask, last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, which they don't believe in, whose wife does she become? For all seven has had her as wife. And Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised. When he called out to the when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For all live to him. Then some of the scribe answered and said, Teacher, you have spoken well. But after that, they dared not question him anymore. Final test passed. The lamb is approved for the Passover. And there was a plot to kill Jesus, and I need to skip forward. He sends his disciples to go and prepare the the Passover. So they obviously got a lamb. They went up to the temple, and with the many other families there, they cut the lamb's throat, and the priest caught the blood in the basin and poured it out under the, the altar as an offering to God. 
and they took out the entrails that the parts that were supposed to be taken and burnt on the altar and they took the lamb home and roasted it. And Jesus comes and he gathers with them. This is uh, chapter 22. It's the 14th of Nisan now, the day that they killed the Passover. The day of unlembered bread when the Passover must be killed. No, further along than that. When the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom. Even right at the beginning of Passover, he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection. And I don't think that they got it. Then he took the cup filled with wine, a symbol of the blood of the lamb. It's the, the first of four cups. It's the cup of sanctification. And God said of, of this, I will bring you out from un, under the burden of Egyptians. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, take it and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And they all partake of this cup. This is not the cup that we celebrate at, during the Lord's Supper. Then we find out from John when they do the washing ceremony that Jesus took, set aside his outer garments and he got down with a towel and a basin and washed the disciples' feet. And he says, if I'm your master and I've washed your feet, you should do so to each other. You should serve one another because I, as your master, am acting like a servant. I am here to serve. And he, he makes a prediction of Judas's betrayal, and Luke has it in a slightly different order. Luke says, but behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then, he began, then they began to question among themselves which of men which of them would do this thing. He ends up calling out Jesus, uh, Judas three times during the meal, and Judas ends up going out. Because he called him out, and the third time he took the sop, which was for the um, honored guest, and gave it to Judas, and he confronted him, and Judas had no choice but to leave, knowing that he was known. Even though the, the chief priest said, we're not going to take him on Passover for the people. Jesus forced it on Passover. Then he took the second cup, but that's not mentioned in the scripture. The cup of plagues where God said, I will rid, rid you out of their bondage. And the Jewish people dipped their finger into the cup of wine and Ten times sprinkle onto their plate, naming each of the plagues to teach their children the history. Then he comes to this point. He took the bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which will be given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Does that sound familiar? 
1 Corinthians 11:23 For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus that same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said Take eat this is my body which is broken from for you do this in remembrance of me I don't have a, a fancy um, matzotash I made my own but they have a fancy silk thing and in it there are three compartments and within the compartments one two three pieces of matzah and they reach in and take the second middle matzah out and matzah has certain qualities I don't know if you can see it um, it has holes in it it's pierced and where it has holes there's ruts like stripes and when it's baked it gets things that look like bruises and I don't know when this became part of the ceremony maybe afterwards the church somehow inserted this but it's a Jewish tradition they take the middle matzah out of this thing that has the definition unity and they take the middle matzah and they break it and they put part of it back into its place in the middle of that unity and they take the piece that's broken and they wrap it in a linen and they hide it away And later, they'll have the children go and hunt for it. And the one that finds it gets a reward. With this, there's a picture of that second person of the Trinity, broken, part of him remaining with the Father and the Spirit, and part of him striped and bruised, and pierced, wrapped in linen and hid away. Then he took the third cup, the cup of redemption, where God said, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. He took the cup, and likewise, he took also the cup after supper. That's how we know it's the third cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. And we see that in 1 Corinthians 11 also. That covenant which he was talking about is in Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them. So this is not about the original Passover. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbors, 
saying, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. So Jesus, in the, or Yeshua, the Jewish name, towards the end of the Passover Seder, does something completely different. And he's pointing forward to what is about to happen. That this cup of blood, it's my blood, and it is the blood to cut the new covenant. And that's the terms of the new covenant. It's a um, unilateral, only God partakes in, in the cutting of the covenant. And it's an eternal covenant. And then after that, the only thing left that we see in this time is the Hallel. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now we know what happens from here. If anyone has ever heard the story of Jesus, they go out to the Mount of Olives. And, Jesus, and Judas, having gone to the chief priests, secures chief priests and scribes to come with him. Also a Roman legion, or not a legion, a group, a cohort probably, and they come with um, torches, even though it's a full moon, so that if they're hiding in the garden, they can find them, and swords, and they arrest Jesus. And they take him to the house of the high priest, and he's an, examined by Annas, and Annas then passes him to Caiaphas, who is the high priest that year, and they both pronounce judgment. So there's this kangaroo court of the Sanhedrin on the night after Passover, or of Passover, into the morning of Passover, because Passover starts at twilight, the evening and the morning is how they reckon time. And they broke, the, the Sanhedrin broke 25 of its own laws surrounding this trial. One of them was, you can't have a trial after sundown. And they convict him by his own testimony, which was not to be allowed. And in the morning, they bring him to Pilate. So the religious trial is over, and they condemned him. Condemned him of blasphemy, condemning him to death. And John tells us that they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning, but they themselves did not go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled, that they might uh, eat the Passover. Now what most of us Gentiles don't know is that there was the Passover lambs that all the families killed at night, and the priests in the morning, around 9 a.m., killed another Passover lamb, which was a peace offering to God. And they didn't go into the praetorium because they didn't want to be ritually defiled having entered a Gentile's house so that they could go and sacrifice the lamb and eat the lamb before God, having done the greatest injustice to God's son the night before. We know the story from here. There's a civil trial before Pilate, and he figures out that Jesus is a Galilean. So he sends him over to Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas can just blows him off because 
Jesus won't play the fool for him. And he comes back to Pilate and Pilate says, well, I'll scourge him and beat him. And then he offers Barabbas, a murderer, or Jesus, which should I let free? And the crowd says, free Barabbas. But what about him who is the king of the Jews? We have no king but Caesar. And if you don't kill him, then you are no friend of Caesar's. And they forced Pilate to condemn him. Pilate washes his hands. I am free from the, this innocent blood. And they load him up with the cross and he goes down the Villa de la Rosa to Golgotha. And they've put the cross down. It's interesting, the complete Jewish Bible continues to call it the execution stake. When they put it down, he lays out on the cross. He isn't forced there. And they nail his, his arms probably through his carpal nerve and his feet to the cross and they lift it up and drop it into the hole and it dislocates many of his body, many of his joints. And then he writhes up and down till he dies a suffocating death. He has to pull himself up on the nails and push himself up from the nail in his feet so that he can exhale and take another breath in. So they literally writhe up and down on that stake until they can't, they have no more strength and, and they suffocate the death. And while he was pulling himself up, he said things like, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And the last thing that he says is, die." It is completely finished. And he breathed out his ghost to God because he wouldn't have died. He dismissed his spirit to God and, he, and the body died. And the, the Romans were asked to hurry along the, um, the execution because it was going to be the Sabbath of that week. So they go to the first thief and they break the, the legs of that thief. And they go to the second thief and they break the legs of that thief so they can't go up and down anymore and will suffocate quicker. And they got to Christ and they saw that he was already dead. Now, these are professional executioners. This is the most gruesome death that mankind has thought up that Jesus went through. He's already dead. They don't break his legs because the Passover lamb could not have any broken bones. I think that Joseph, that Nicodemus came to faith that day because he understood the picture of, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to me. The picture of the snake in the Old Testament, the bronze serpent. About 400 years or so before Jesus was even born, Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 53. Incidentally, it's a chapter that is kind of forbidden to the Jewish people. It's, it's not in their normal readings of the prophets, ever. Isaiah 53, verse 3, He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. 
And, he, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are Healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, Jesus wasn't dying the Passover of Egypt. He was dying the fulfillment of the Passover that started with Abraham. Because we were all sold under sin from the very beginning when Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And death stepped into our lives because of sin. There is not a righteous man who does good and does not sin, Scripture tells us. New Testament, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us is in rebellion against God and needs a Passover sacrifice to buy us shalom. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his debt gener generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, the two thieves, but with the rich at his death in Nicodemus' tomb. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin. And that word offering goes straight to the guilt offering in Leviticus. It's the same word. When you make his soul your guilt offering for sin, he shall see his seed he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He, God the Father, shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By, the knowledge, by his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So Jesus not only celebrated the the. Passover with his disciples, but he was the Passover for us. And he instituted the new covenant in his blood that we also might have forgiveness of sins and God's shalom. But you know, there's an interesting thing about the Passover lamb. You had, you had to do something to receive the benefit of the Passover lamb. Back in Egypt, you had to kill the lamb, you had to take the blood and put it on the doorposts of your house and on the lintel. And today, you still need to receive it. And you need to put that blood on your heart. You need to bow to God and surrender. Because he's not only the Passover lamb, but he's the savior of the world. And he's our king, savior and king, not savior and maybe king. So for those of you who know Jesus, 
Do you live a life like he's your king? Are you bowing before him every day and doing what his word says and in his word learning? And for those of you who've never trusted Jesus, realize that Jesus took all of God's wrath for sin. So you can either receive Yeshua as your Passover and God will pass over your case. Or you can decide to pay it yourself just like Pharaoh's firstborn. And by the way, the strike against Pharaoh was, I'm going to kill your son, Pharaoh. Obviously, if you're the God you say you are, you'll at least, if you can't stop me, you'll raise him from the dead. And Pharaoh wasn't able to. Pharaoh got knocked over. But when Satan and Judas went out and crucified God's son, three days later, he rose him from the dead. And what we find is when they find this, Afikomen, the only Greek word in the Passover Seder. They take it and they break it into pieces. Afikomen means that which comes afterwards like dessert. And we take, he was called the bread of life. I need it. <laughs> 